The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 14, Episode 18. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing three tales to terrify you, courtesy of authors Kisto Healy, James Thurwell, and Dale Thompson. Tonight we'll hear stories of distressing dates, mortifying massacres, and methodical murders. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors... Turn your lights down low and settle in. <laughs> the show's about to begin. <laughs> Is there any wonder why true crime podcasts are a big thing? 
We have a fascination with those who take the lives of others into their own hands, be they just regular, ordinary folks who just snap, people with serious issues that they've never dealt with, or when it comes to the truly bizarre, people who come back from the grave because they just couldn't get enough gore the first time around. We check in first with Kistohili, and a fellow who has a thing for art and beauty, though his canvas is a little unusual. Though maybe, just maybe, a little normalcy is all he needs. But will it be enough? Without further ado, I present to you A Date with Death. Gerald closed his computer with a smile. He felt an electric tingle run through his body. He didn't associate with many people outside of work, and most of the people at work he not so secretly hated. He had his mother, and she loved him more than any mother loved their child, but he longed to meet someone new, to have a friend. His mother got jealous whenever he tried, so he had to keep his attempts at socializing a secret from her. The computer was the best way to do that, since she never used technology outside of the old tube television in the living room. Gerald's father used to tell him that not only his mother could love him, his father was not a good man, he wasn't missed. In fact, Gerald hated how much time he still thought of the old man and heard his voice in the ether. If only he could kill the memories like he was able to kill the man. Unfortunately, Gerald's abuser lived on in his mind. He supposed that was the penance he had to pay for what he'd done. But none of that mattered now. Gerald had a date, a real date. He couldn't wait to meet Valerie in person. He'd been talking to her online for months. Talking through type text in a chat box. Even talking on the phone. It was so different than being in person. Sure, he knew that Valerie loved true crime and industrial music, but he didn't know her truth because you could never know anyone's truth without feasting your eyes on them, as far as Gerald was concerned. It was all about the skin. Nothing told the truth like the flesh. Your whole life was there. The scars, the moles, the hair and freckles, tattoos, and piercings. It was the affectations that separated one person from another. Gerald's father was the monster in his closet, the beast under his bed, his boogeyman. He was a living, breathing nightmare, and yet without his skin, he was the same as everyone. He was just tissue, muscle, tenons, ligaments, and bone. He was no longer frightening. There was nothing to make him unique or special. If Gerald were to skin anyone else, they would look identical to his father. What made the old man frightening was that gross mole with the hairs coming out of it by his right ear, the tattoo of the devil smiling on his shoulder, the scar inside his belly button where he had been stabbed when he was young. There were so many details that Gerald's young eyes had focused on while he was being beaten, the belt buckle imprinting itself on his flesh and adding to his own story, his own uniqueness. All of that meant nothing when Gerald took it away. Looking at his father without skin was like staring at a department store mannequin. There was nothing sentient about it. 
So many people in Gerald's life, like that jerk Chad that he worked with, thought they were better than him, but he knew that they didn't. Underneath it all, they were identical, the same. No one was better than anyone. They were just decorated differently. Gerald was raised Christian, and it left him torn because the Christians, like his parents, believed that the soul was on the inside of the person. But Gerald knew that the soul was in the flesh. Removing one took away the other, and that was what set Gerald apart from jerks like Chad. Gerald had power, real power. He had his father's soul in a box under his bed. He bought some frames. They had these fun ones meant for collages and scrapbooking with different shapes within them. It made his art more fun. When he removed his personal details, the things that made a person who they were, he cut them in the appropriate shapes to fit the frames perfectly. It felt like assembling a puzzle, crafting those masterpieces. He was working on a special room in his basement where he could work on his art and hang the finished products without fear of being caught or misunderstood. When that room was done, he would have his own little slice of heaven right there in his home. He'd have to make sure it was extra secure, of course, or his nosy mother would find her way down and punish him for not stopping with his father, but she just didn't understand. Not many people did. She also didn't understand that she was aging, changing, and it was becoming more and more difficult for Gerald to find her attractive. It made sense for him to look outside the home for someone who could please him, but his mother would never understand that. Valerie could be the answer. He often thought about what she looked like when they talked to each other through. Um, he imagined so many details with backstories. Now that he was finally going to see her truth, Gerald couldn't help but fear that he was going to be disappointed, let down by his own fantasies. He'd seen pictures, but they were mostly her face or close-ups of one part in particular. It was an interesting part in the sense that no two he had ever seen looked the same, but it was rare to find something worthy of putting in a frame. She did have a beauty mark up by her eye and a chickenpox scar on her chin that he liked, like a tiny crater. It was the rest that interested him, and in order for him to complete his mission, he'd been dying to go on since they'd spoken for the first time months ago, he was going to have to make sure the date went well. People don't ordinarily take their clothes off for people they didn't feel comfortable with or have fun with. That meant to see what her flesh really had to offer, Gerald was going to have to be on his best behavior. He went to his kitchen and downed a shot of his father's bourbon to calm his nerves. It was the drink that made his father mean a lot, but Gerald wasn't his father. At least not while he was wearing his skin, he wasn't. He did have a lot of anger, though. He hated people and being around them. He hated how they looked at him, spoke to him, and treated him. He wanted to take them all apart and show them just how not special they were. He was far from a social butterfly, but he just had to get this right. He needed it. He wished he had his friends so he could have someone like they always did in the movies or on TV, speaking into his ear and telling him what to do or say. Unfortunately, Gerald's only friends were his dear old mom, sleeping in the other room, 
and the flesh he'd taken and turned into art. The souls he stole that lived with him, a collection he was determined to grow. They were the best kind of friends he could hope for because they were beautiful. They told stories. They were all original and unique, and they never talked down to him, criticized him, or treated him badly. The flesh behind the glass never made a single complaint. They were like runaway models just putting themselves on display for his admiration, and he appreciated every moment of it. If only the people who originally wore the skin realized his greatness and treated him with the same level of reverence. Gerald went to the bathroom and took a shower. He smelled himself several times until all he could smell was soap. Normally, he'd never do such things to his skin. He kept it clean, but he felt the scent of it was natural and part of the essence of the flesh. He was worried that Valerie wouldn't share such an opinion, though, and he needed to make a good first impression. He brushed his teeth and used mouthwash. Then he breathed into his hands and sniffed it up his nose. It was minty. That was good. Women liked that on TV. Gerald didn't date much or at all, and TV was his only resource. He put on his finest suit, and even though he did believe he looked damn good in it, and it distracted from his bald head that made him look older than he was, he felt overdressed. If he'd overdressed, it could embarrass her and cause her to walk away from him before he got to see her truth. He didn't want to show up for a date in shorts and a t-shirt, but all he really had outside of that was the scrubs he wore to his job working sanitation at the hospital. He wondered if his father had something he could fit in. The old man certainly didn't need it anymore if he did. It was just bones now. The problem was that his father's clothes were still in the bedroom he'd shared with Gerald's mother. He'd have to think of something to say because she wouldn't like the idea of him going out with some girl he'd met on the internet. She didn't want him to go out with anyone. She didn't want him to go out. He had to work hard to convince her that he needed a job and that she'd run out of his father's life insurance if he didn't provide supplementary income. She was clearly unhappy about it and showed him by how rough she was with him that night. But she gave in and allowed him to venture out into the world. Since then, he made sure to always keep her involved and tell her everything about his day and the horrible people he worked with. Hearing about how much her baby hated those awful people made her feel better about letting him live amongst them. She became gentle again. This could shove her back over the edge of jealous madness and a date he wasn't sure would go well could come with terrible consequences. Gerald loved his mother just as she taught him to, and he didn't want to disappoint her. She was always very vocal about how much his father disappointed her. It was part of what made his father hate him so much. His mother antagonized the man, and the man brought Gerald the violence. But he was free of all of that now, mostly. Gerald trod lightly in his effort to be quiet. He reached to his mother's room and held his breath as he turned the doorknob. When it opened inward, he sighed quietly upon seeing her sleeping soundly. He stepped into the room and stood over her for a moment. When she was young, she had been so beautiful. Now her skin sagged loosely from her bones and wrinkled up on itself. It looked scaly, like she was some kind of lizard. Her expectations of him hadn't changed, but something within him had. 
Then he thought about how, beneath that terrible flesh, she was exactly the same as Valerie, or any other woman 20 years younger than she was. He could restore her beauty by bringing her back to the basics, simplifying things. He just had to figure out how to do it without killing her. He needed her. The last thing Gerald wanted to do was kill his own mother. He leaned over by her and whispered into her ear as she slept, Soon, my love. Soon I will make you beautiful again. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Gerald crept over to the closet and sifted through his father's clothes. He found a sweater that was nice, but not too nice, and a collared shirt to wear beneath it. With his one good pair of jeans, that would do nicely. He snuck back out of his mother's room and closed the door gently. His dog padded over to greet him. Gerald smiled at him and gently scratched between his ears. I'm going to meet a girl, he said quietly, still afraid his mother might hear. Maybe she'll have a dog you can meet, too. A few minutes later, Gerald was dressed and on his way. He couldn't believe how nervous he was. He continuously wiped his sweaty palms on his pants. When he arrived at the restaurant, it was four minutes late and hoped, well, just hoped that wasn't a deal-breaker. He smiled genuinely when he saw her sitting at a corner booth away from the bright lights. Gerald strolled over with false confidence and said, Valerie? Hi, she said shyly. He sat down across from her. It's so good to finally meet you in person. Thank you. You look nice. I like the sweater. It was my father's. Did he pass? He did, but it's okay. He was a bit of a bastard. Oh. Gerald saw the look on her face and he gritted his teeth. He couldn't scare her, not yet. The waiter came and took their orders. Gerald made sure not to order for or even suggest anything. Women got offended by things like that on TV and he wanted to be careful. He made his own choices by picking food that wouldn't spill on his father's sweater. He was hoping to put it back before his mother realized it was gone. If she found it stained, it would mean trouble for him. Have you eaten here before? she asked him. Gerald shook his head, afraid to say the wrong thing again. Me neither, she told him with a shrug of his shoulders. I like the atmosphere. Hopefully the food's good, too. Hopefully, he agreed. Tell me about that. He pointed at her hand. Valerie looked down at the scar that looked like a starfish where her thumb met her hand. Oh, uh, when I was little, my brother stabbed me with a pencil. It was a stupid argument over who got to pick which cartoon we watched, 
and we both ended up at the ER, and neither one of us got to watch cartoons. Do you have any scars? Gerald nodded. My father used to take a belt to me. My back's pretty scarred up. He regretted saying it as soon as he watched her eyes widen in horror. He wasn't good at this, and he hated it. I'm sorry you had to go through that, she said. I can't imagine how hard that was. It was okay, Lyde. I'm fine. What about you? Any childhood drama I should know about? He was glad to hear her laugh and almost sighed with relief. Not really. My parents were good people. I had a small, close-knit circle of friends. I stayed out of trouble. Pretty boring story, to be honest. Gerald smiled. I think your story's more interesting than you give it credit for. You told me the fascinating story about the scar in your hand. What's the tale that led to the scar in your elbow? A scar in my elbow, she said with a laugh. She bent her arm awkwardly and struggled to see. I honestly don't know what I did or how long it's been there. You really pay attention to details, don't you? Of course I do. It's those details. The story on the canvas of our flesh that tells who we really are and what we've been through. I like that, she said with a smile. It's kind of beautiful. You seem like a poet. Do you write? And Gerald chuckled. He was beginning to feel at ease in her company, which was so rare for him. No, I, I do make art, though. I guess an artist's soul is transparent. Maybe. I always wished I could be an artist, but I just don't have it. I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't write. I can't play music or sing with perfect pitch. I'm just hopeless. She punctuated the statement with an awkward laugh. Gerald took a chance and reached across the table to put his hand upon hers. I can teach you, he told her. You can come work on one of my art pieces with me, and I'll take you step by step through my process. Then maybe you can do one of your own. She lit up with excitement and his heart fluttered. Wow, that would be an amazing second date, mister. What kind of art is it? Do you paint? No, it's hard to describe, he told her. It's more like sculpting, weaving, sewing, collaging, and just using so many different mediums to assemble something beautiful. Like a sculpture. Yeah, something like that. I'd love to show you. Well, I'd love to see, she said back, squeezing his hand. The food came and they ate in silence for a bit, just enjoying the choruses and savoring the taste. Okay, now this is good, Valerie said. It really is. I'm glad we did this. You know what, Gerald? So am I. Gerald grinned. So, Valerie, do you have any tattoos? Well, I've got a bunch, but this one's my favorite, she told him. She gestured to the side of the table and he leaned over to see what she was trying to show him. She lifted her pant leg and displayed her calf. On the muscle, which he couldn't help but notice was rippling and strong, was a scene with trees and a sunset. Wow, Gerald said, that's gorgeous. I'd frame that and put it on my wall. I know, right? Guy did a great job. It was from a postcard that my childhood love sent me before he moved away and I never saw him again. I just always loved it. And of course, it comes with a romantic story, Gerald said, clapping quietly. I'm sorry if this is too forward, but I want to see the others and hear the stories behind them as well. Well, they don't all have romantic stories. At least I don't think so. But don't worry. I don't think it's forward. Hell, 
We've gone a lot further than that on multiple occasions, just not in person. No, that's true. I really like you, Valerie. I like you, too. Should we get some dessert or just get the check and you can show me your art? Now, that's a tough one, Cheryl told her, even though it wasn't at all. He couldn't give a damn about dessert, but he had to play his part and was determined to play it well. He got denied in all the school plays, but he was earning his part now. The good was so good that I know dessert has to be divine, but I do really want to show you my art and get you involved with it. Well, how about this, then? How about we get dessert to go and then take it back to your place and we can eat it while we create? I absolutely love that idea, he said with a smile. A short while later, they were outside holding hands, Gerald's other hand holding a bag containing cherry cheesecake. Should we ride together or do you want to follow me? Valerie chewed on her lip. How far is it? Can we walk? Gerald didn't want to be seen walking around with her by a thousand different eyes, but if he said it wasn't in walking distance and she followed him, only to realize it was, she would know something was up. He felt like screaming, like smashing anything he could get his hands on. It is in walking distance, he said, but I twisted my ankle earlier, and it's still kind of throbbing. Can I give you a rain shack on the romantic walk? He grimaced when he saw her look visibly disappointed. Yeah, that's okay. How'd you hurt your ankle? My mother's elderly, and she lives with me. I was carrying laundry down to the basement, and I slipped and went right down the stairs. I'm lucky it was just my ankle and not worse, or this date may not have happened. Oh, poor guy, she said, hugging him and kissing his cheek. Is your mom there now? We're not going to disturb her, are we? Nah, it's fine. Like I said, she's old and sleeps a lot. I hang out in the basement and make art. You'll see. All right. I can't wait. You don't have a bed down there, do you? She batted her eyes at him. He grinned. I don't, but I do have a big table that you could definitely lay on if you wanted to. Sounds cold, she said with a laugh as they got in the car. Yeah, sorry. You sure you want to leave your car here? You'll be bringing me back for it later, won't you? All right. Thanks. Let's go make some art. Gerald smiled at her before he put his car in gear and pulled away from the curb. She was unconscious by the time they got to his house. He distracted her by pointing to her hand, and she didn't even notice when he poured the powder into her drink. It's the same stuff he used to knock his mother out so he could play without getting into trouble. Gerald carried her into the house, past the bedroom where his mother still snored quietly, and to a door across the way. He set her down so he could open it and then retrieved her, carrying her downstairs into the basement as promised. He laid her on a silver table that rested in front of the washer and dryer. He really needed to get that room built. It felt crowded as it was. Hope it's not too cold, he said as he strapped her in. His dog padded up to him and Gerald smiled, patting his head. No other dog this time, bud. I'm sorry. I'll give you some meat, though. Once the skin's gone, the meat means nothing. The dog barked happily, then sat nearby and waited for his prize. Gerald walked to a work table nearby and grabbed his favorite scalpel. He stole it from work, and it was the only tool he ever used. 
It felt like an extension of his arm at this point. Valerie was starting to stir, and he was glad. He didn't want her to miss the fun. He was really glad he took a chance on internet dating. It really paid off. What, what are you doing? She stammered quietly as her eyes fluttered open. Exactly what you wanted, Gerald told her, his eyes glowing with excitement. We're going to make art together. I'm not going to kill you, don't worry. I need to see if I can do it and keep someone alive so I can save my mother's beauty and preserve her. You won't be special anymore. You'll be the same as anyone in your state with no defining characteristics. But I want you to know that you'll always be special to me and I'll keep the best of you, the pieces that make your soul in that frame over there. And if you still want to be intimate after your flesh is gone, I'll do that for you. You deserve it. Tonight has meant a lot for me. This is the best first date I've ever had. Thank you. Valerie started screaming. Gerald responded by smiling at her lovingly and making the first cut. A few feet away, the dog licked its chops and looked eagerly on, awaiting his treat. Soon, Gerald told the animal. Soon. Valerie continued to scream. Gerald loved the sound of it. Nothing had ever turned him on so much in his life. Today was a good day, he thought. No, a great day. He would definitely try internet dating again, as long as his mother didn't find out. Moaning happily, he took the chickenpox scarf from her chin. I hope you enjoyed A Date with Death by Kisto Healy as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented featured author... You can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash kisto-healy. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash c-h-i-s-t-o dash h-e-a-l-y. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. I guess some people can't lift themselves out of a rut in the end. They just go back to doing the same thing they always do. But hey, at least he's kind to his mother. That's got to count for something, right? Although, from the sound of it, they might need a little counseling in that department, too. And now, a quick glance behind the curtain with reporter James Thurwell, who apparently had an incident he had over the holiday season that he's just now willing to talk about. Maybe, though, it's a story he should have left to himself. Without further ado, I present to you, He Must Know. On the events of the death of Vincent Neumeyer. I think with all the things I end up reporting on, it seemed inevitable I'd find something related to Halloween to report on. Not that I went out to report on it on purpose... I'd rather be celebrating with friends and family, enjoying a quiet holiday, enjoying the decorations I see as I pass by the houses in suburban neighborhoods. The story, however, is the thing, and when it comes to calling, it's not possible to ignore it. Or rather, when you drive by the story on accident. 
I will admit, I occasionally do drive around to see how people decorate for the season, whether it's Halloween, Christmas, or the 4th of July. The former two are the ones everyone goes all out for, and while Christmas seems to be the time where the decorations are happiest, I tend to see a lot more creativity show up at Halloween. I don't know if that just has to do with people having very different definitions of fear, but you'll see one yard with blow-ups from the Hocus Pocus movies and silly ghosts, and then another where blood-soaked murderous clowns with chainsaws stand in the middle of a graveyard where rotting corpses rise from fake graves. It was thus how I was taken by surprise when I saw police cars outside of a house that it took me a moment to realize that the carnage out front was not part of the seasonal decorations. I could see how some might have been fooled, though anyone who thought it was fake would have found it tasteless or too simplistic. Two bodies on the lawn, face down, clothes tattered and bloodstained, and a front window smashed outward as though one or both of them had been thrown with great force. It was clear, though, that the caution tape around the yard and the police officers gathered were not part of any decorations, nor the young boys sitting on the front steps with the blanket wrapped around them. I wanted to stop and investigate, but it looked like not only was I earlier than the traditional press due to my accidental drive-by, but I wasn't about to either interfere with an official investigation or ask questions of a boy who appeared to have lost everyone he knew. That, and I was waved along the street by a cop, and it's not like I have any sort of official press credentials I can wave around any time I feel like it. I don't have the backing of a major newspaper, which I don't mind most of the time, but there are times when it would make what I do a whole lot easier. I got some of the information later from sources in the police department I could trust. As far as the boy was able to relate, the family was all together in the living room enjoying a night of watching movies when there was a pounding on the front door. A moment later, the door flew open and a powerfully built man stormed into the house. He spoke little, but he began shouting almost incoherently to someone who no one else could see. He asked questions to thin air, asking where the kitchen was, where he was going to find what he needed, and after a few seconds in the kitchen, he came into the family room brandishing a knife. The survivor, who I'll name Brandon for the story to protect his real identity, was shooed out of the room by his mother, though it did little good. Brandon's father was a sizable man himself, and he kept himself fit, more than capable of defending his family against most threats, but he unfortunately did not have the power of insanity and rage on his side. The murderer grabbed him by the throat and, while holding him, proceeded to stab him over and over. The coroner report suggested that he was stabbed well over 50 times, with most of them likely post-mortem, meaning the boy's father died in the clutches of the madmen, but he continued to stab away, driven by forces more powerful than we could imagine. The boy's mother, of course, was terrified, but stood her ground to protect her son. She, too, was stabbed numerous times, but the killer felt no need to strangle her. He was content to merely drive her headfirst into the drywall of the living room so he could complete the job. 
The remainder of the house he ran through, tearing apart cabinet drawers and scattering their contents. But though Brandon hid himself in the corner of his closet, the madman strangely ignored him. Even when the door of the closet burst open, the man merely screamed at him, then ripped clothes off the rack and threw everything into disarray. His final act was to throw Brandon's parents through the front window onto the lawn, at which point he left through the front door and into the night. I couldn't imagine a scenario more terrifying than if a tornado blew through the neighborhood. It sounded so similar. Wanton, random in destruction, leaving some items standing intact while leveling the rest. But the motive made no sense. Brandon swore he'd never seen the man before, nor had anything been stolen, and the rest of the neighborhood had been left unscathed. He had apparently, by chance, selected one house to be his target and had wreaked his vengeance upon it. No cult symbolism, nothing to even suggest outright malice. Brandon's family appeared to be simply the victims of being at home when the man snapped. As for the man himself, no one had any clue who he was. He was not a career criminal with a long rap sheet. Besides Brandon's testimony, the only clue to his identity was a few scant seconds of footage on the ring camera installed on the front door. I unfortunately was not able to access the whole video, which was being held as evidence in the case, but I was given a picture as he kicked in the door. Brandon was correct about the size of the man to be certain. He was clearly built like a weightlifter and, in fact, wore a leather vest with no shirt. I could not tell his direct ethnicity, but he was fair-skinned, but with long, dripping mustache and shoulder-length black hair. Forgive me for my references, but the only way I could describe in a way that made sense was the actor who played Machete's head on the body, the wrestler Triple H. As an aside note, I'm aware of the actor and Triple H's real names. I just thought this would make things easier for the reader to understand. The story itself registered in the local news for a few days, but as there were no further attacks, no one felt the need to be concerned and life continued apace until he indeed did strike again. The victims this time were a couple of newlyweds with a two-year-old son in a small apartment complex about ten miles away from the neighborhood he attacked before. Other than that, though, the actual attack was very similar. Multiple stab wounds, signs of violence around the head and neck. They, too, had gone out the window, but as their apartment was on the second floor, their bodies took far more damage than Brandon's family. Again, no stolen items, the house was thrown into chaos, and nothing necessarily cult-related, and the toddler was left alive. But there was a difference this time around. One of the approved-for-release photographs showed our murderous friend had changed his M.O. slightly. On one wall of the apartment, words had been dug into the wall with a bloody knife. They read, He must know. The police did inform me that the writing was baffling. There was no indication of who he was that needed to know. Speculation among my sources ran rampant, ranging from Brandon, the previous survivor, some ancient Mesopotamian god read about in books, a guy who lives in his eyebrow, and their, their, their personal favorite, Tony Robbins. Why Tony Robbins, I don't know, but it must have been an inside joke with the department. 
It was about two days before Halloween when a third house was hit. This one on the edge of the city. Still a house in a neighborhood, but more urban than suburban. Another family, young, same general attack pattern. But like Brandon, the youngest was spared. But sadly, only the youngest. The parents, 31 and 29, and their oldest son, 10, were both found brutally murdered on the lawn. But the six-month-old was still crying in her crib when the police arrived. They, too, had a ring doorbell, and as before, there was no warning. Just a mad rush to cause as much mayhem and inflict as much damage as possible. I'd come to the conclusion that keeping the children alive was significant to this whole process. It seemed so odd to leave them alive after doing so much else, and the fact that only the youngest member of the household was spared, not all of the children. But I was to find out that there was one other connection. Well, there were two... But let me expound one at a time. Following the autopsies of the first two sets of victims, I received some information on Brandon's questioning. Much of it was redacted, and I was reliably informed that, as expected, he didn't want to go into much detail and had broken down several times during the interview. But he did mention that the knife he saw when his mother told him to hide was unusual. He'd originally thought, as did the police that the wounds were caused by a kitchen knife that was removed from the scene. But the autopsies revealed that the damage caused to the bodies was done with a pointed blade with double sides, that is, the kind you see in Hollywood movies used by thugs and cultists, similar to a small sword or some fancy letter openers. With very rare exceptions, kitchen knives do not have this feature. They do have single blades only usable one way, usually, to prevent anyone from slicing their hands off when chopping onions. With this knowledge, I thought maybe, even without any signs of a cult being involved, I still did some quick research on ceremonial daggers, and wouldn't you know it, it didn't take long to find the information. The fact that I did concerns me more about the people out there searching for this kind of thing than anything else. While I didn't come across anything truly mysterious, like some unique ancient Greek dagger that had gone missing from a museum, what I did locate was what was called an athame. Without going into too much of the specifics, the athame is a ritualistic dagger used in Wiccan ceremonies, and according to what practitioners are supposed to be using it for, our fellow was way, way off. This blade was meant for waving around in the air and carving herbs and roots, not for putting as many holes in people as possible. If this was the blade being used, and really, at this point, I was speculating since there was no direct evidence it was the case, it could mean there was some ritualistic purpose that was being committed here, or at least an attempt at a ritual. If I dug deep enough, I was sure there were things people didn't like to talk about those days, That consisted of human sacrificial rites, but chances are they didn't begin with wholesale slaughter, like what had just occurred over the past few weeks. I wanted some answers, but I was pretty sure I wasn't going to get them. Likely, he would just strike again, and hopefully this time someone would catch him before he got away with killing again. At least this is what I thought, until I saw the other thing that connected the cases together. In the third murder... I checked with my sources to see if there were any photos of the crime scene that they could release that were strange and unusual. 
Oddly enough, they were hesitant to give me anything, which was very much unlike them. They told me I might find the information disturbing. Again, very odd, because I'd seen crime scenes of all kinds and didn't know what I would consider unusual. It took some convincing, but they finally shared it. Like the second house, there were more words carved into the walls, but this time there was little doubt who he, being referred to, was from the last time. James, James, speak to me. None of the victims had been called James. Nobody other than my sources on the police force knew I was looking into this, and none of them were James as far as I knew, other than that first night where I stopped across from the crime scene near in my car. Had I ever been physically present, and yet he knew my name. How? And more importantly, why? How in the world was I supposed to speak to someone who came and went like a force of vengeance? I spent the rest of the night unable to sleep, for obvious reasons, but I spent much of it staring at all my notes, the case files I was able to obtain, everything to see what would be the real story in all of this. Then I poked around on my phone trying to find something to eat, and it was, when I got to the screen, asking me to pick what location to order from that I got an idea. One of the things I never considered was a map. With the digital age being what it was, it never occurred to me to print out a physical drawing of the area and see if there was some sort of pattern in the places he hit. And wouldn't you know it, there was. The sights, when measured for distance, created a triangle the tip pointed downward. It was amazing how neatly equidistant the sides were. I couldn't believe how neatly our fellow made the triangle, as I couldn't imagine he was someone who studied math a great deal, or at least had the patience for it in recent times. But again, the why of it. Why the triangle? Why the knife? Why my name? What's going on here? Too many questions, no answers. The only thing I could think of was try and see if there was something on the map the triangle was telling me. I checked where the points were to see if they pointed at anything, but no, they weren't showing me anything. Then I looked directly in the middle, and I saw nothing. No, at that time there was something. I looked at it more closely. Dead center of the triangle was a street corner. I looked at it on an online map and on street view, I saw the corner had an abandoned factory, two empty lots, and a church that likely hadn't been opened in years. A decommissioned church, Catholic. St. Francis de Sales, the sign read. Catholic church meant a confessional. James, speak to me. I contacted my sources on the force and told them I believed I might have an answer to some of the puzzle, but that I might need protection in the event something were to happen. It was a hunch, after all, and if it turned out to be correct, I didn't want to be there alone. I didn't know if there was a time in mind, but I gathered up some materials for jotting down notes, a handheld recorder and a knife of my own, just in case I needed it. But somehow I doubted it would be of much help if he wished me ill will. I arrived there shortly after 6 o'clock, October 30th. It was getting darker earlier, but even I was taken aback by how dark it was already. I pushed at the front door and wasn't really surprised to find it was not only unlocked, it had been kicked hard enough 
that it likely would never lock again. If he wasn't here now, he had certainly been here before. The church inside was still in decent repair, but it was very unclean. Cobwebs, scattered pews, some other loose furniture, but the guts of the building were still standing. And there was a confessional booth, just as I suspected. The side door where the confessor went in was closed, but the door for the priest was wide open. I walked carefully through the pews, making sure I didn't step on any loose nails and closed the door. Hello, James. I hadn't even gotten into my seat when a voice came through the window. Hello, er, Vincent. I have some things to confess. I nodded, even though he couldn't see me. He went into a laundry list of things he'd done, not just recently, but throughout his life. By the time he'd reached the murders, it had been about ten minutes. Vincent had not let a life anyone would find happy. Let's simply leave it at that. I won't horrify you or bore you with the details. Yes, Vincent, you did kill those people. But why? Because they told me to. Now he had captured my interest. Who are the they you're talking about? I don't know who they are, but they didn't ever talk to me until I had stolen this knife. There was a clatter on the other side, and I guess he must have placed that blade on the confessional cell. There was a shape I could barely make out in the gloom, but if my assumptions were correct, it was that ritualistic dagger, the athame, and it slid another puzzle piece in the right place. Who'd you steal it from? I don't really know. It was in a display case in a store. I just know wherever it was that owned it prior, they either didn't know what they had or they knew and just didn't care. Is it worth a lot? No, it's not worth anything. But it's the voices. They live in it. What do they tell you, Vincent? Nothing I wouldn't already be doing, but they seem to know an awful lot about you. I gulped. This is where things were going to get strange. Why do they know me? Because they know you are on the edge of things. I don't know you, but they've been listening. They know about the things you investigate and try to expose. In some ways, you're close to figuring it out, and others still so, so far away. A part of me wanted to know more about this. Good knows it would explain a lot to me, but as excited as that part of me wanted to be, the rest of me wanted nothing to do with it. I think deep down, I didn't want to know why someone beyond our earthly realm had taken such an interest in me, and so I tried to change the subject. The families, Vincent. Why the families? It's part of the plan. What plan? The whole plan. I had to prepare the way. They need vessels, young lives, to enter this place and begin the first part. It's inevitable, and a doorway is the weakest on the 31st. But who are they, Vincent? Who are they? I don't know who or what they are, but they've shown me what they're planning. It's a terrible and awesome sight, James. And give me a few moments and you'll be able to see it, too. This is the part where there's to be a large, climatic fight scene between me and the murderer. But the thing is, this is real life, as strange as it might get, and it never got that exciting. I took off out of the confessional and hightailed it to the front door. 
I went out the front, hands raised, and dropped to the ground. Vincent came out a moment later, and he raised the dagger. The police waiting outside opened fire. For all his strength and all his viciousness, Vincent was not an immortal being, nor truly superhuman. In the end, he was stopped by twelve rounds of small arms fire, all center mass. October 31st came and went without a hitch. Naturally, with what Vincent had told me, Brandon had had tabs kept on him, but he seemed to suffer no strange personality quirks or behavioral changes in the days that followed and appeared to be an otherwise normal kid, if now living with his grandparents. The other two boys were too young to know if anything had happened, but if the ritual could not be completed without me having my blood drained, or worse, then maybe the world has dodged a bullet in that regard. As for Vincent, I dug into his background as best I could. But there's where things take a turn for the worse, as he wasn't a career criminal with a record. As far as I could tell, Vincent was never a model citizen, but I couldn't pin a lot of blame on him either. Maybe he was just feeding me a pile of lies, or maybe he told the truth, but had never been caught. It was only his word, and that's all I will ever have. And that's my Halloween story. Make of it what you will, but I do hope, unlike me, that your holidays spent at a nice party or with family and friends and not subjected to violent madmen charging into your home. Still, I know my nights will still be sleepless for a while. I have plenty of security measures to keep unwanted spies out of my life. But what do you do against forces that are spying on you from across time and space? I hope you enjoyed He Must Know by James Thurwell, as performed by yours truly. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. And more than that, a thank you to all of tonight's featured authors. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, Please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 a month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. And if you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube... You can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. And you can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. Ten years now. 
And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.